All right, welcome back, everybody, to the latest edition of the Coach's Corner Podcast, which is part of In the Flat Family of Podcasts. I'm your host, Tony Kill, joined, as always, by our favorite coach, Jeff Kamarmi. So um, this week, we're excited to bring you another top 10 matchup, this time from an unfamiliar place on this podcast, the West Coast. We don't get too many top 10 matchups out there in the West Coast, so it's going to be excited to bring this one to you at UCLA and Oregon. Uh, both teams are ranked in the top 10. There's a bit of history here. Uh, between the teams, uh, UCLA leads the all-time series, thirty-nine to thirty-one. Uh, but Oregon has won the last three. Uh, but the last two contests uh, with these, uh, obviously, a little bit different coaching uh, coaches out there now. But the last two contests have been won by Oregon by three points. So very close ball games these last couple of years. Uh, coming into this game, UCLA is undefeated. Uh, they defeated some cupcakes along the way, but they also beat a, a good, you know, pretty good Washington team and a, I would say. Depends on the week, but a very good Utah team as well. Um, they will be coming off a bye this week, so they have some time to rest and really prepare for this game. Uh, for Oregon, they're coming in with a 5-1 and one record. Have beat, been beaten pretty badly in their first game of the season by Georgia, 49-3. But since then, they have beaten the likes of BYU, Washington State, Stanford, Arizona. So you have to wonder, you know, there is the true team, the one that lost to a good team in Georgia, and the one that's beaten up at either bad or just okay teams uh, throughout the rest of their contest. Um, as I mentioned, there is some history here, as Coach Kelly used to coach Oregon um, and modernize the college football offense at that program. Uh, a few years ago, there was even talk of him going back to Oregon, but he decided to kind of branch out and start a new opportunity there at UCLA. Uh, the first couple years there were tough for Coach Kelly. Uh, but I would say these last two years, he's got things going like they need to go at UCLA. They started turning into more of a winning program. So let's dive into this matchup, starting first with those coaches. Uh, let's start with Coach Kelly, uh, Jeff. So uh, what have you noticed differently since last year, uh, since the last year with his team? Has, uh, has he changed his co- coaching style or philosophy, or has he finally gotten the right players into his system? Yeah, he's got the players finally. It's it's year five for Chip Kelly. So, and, and you know, just to rewind the clock, I mean, it's like we're just talking about how good he was at Oregon a decade ago. I mean, he was 46 and seven there. Uh, dominated the Pac-12, 33 and three in the Pac-12. I mean, you're right. He had them all over the map. He, he really got this up-tempo spread perimeter screen zone run stuff started and like the rest of college football landscape followed. And, you know, it even took off the NFL, Tony. I mean, you remember, you know, RG3 was doing it. Mike Vick, uh, Kaepernick had his run using the zone read. And then Lamar Jackson is still doing this stuff now. So we still see it today. And he was a, he was a big part of it. Um, but he's finally getting his guys. It's year five. So he's been there a long time, which is hard to believe, you know, when you think about it. But and it's a combination of his high school commits and transfers. He's used the portal really well. Um, but it takes time when you're, you're specific with the kind of scheme he runs, Tony. It takes time because it's a certain personnel you have to fit. And I like to compare this to the Scott Frost situation at Nebraska. So, you know, for listeners who, are, who just know about the Nebraska thing and Scott Frost didn't work out. He's really from the Chip Kelly tree, okay? He was the offensive coordinator with Chip Kelly when they were at Oregon together. Scott Frost goes to Florida and has a bunch of athletes down in Central Florida, goes undefeated, has his spread tempo, and then he tries to implant out Nebraska. He just can't get the kids out there. And you know, you think about this recruiting is when you're trying to recruit a kid and get him to go to Lincoln, Nebraska to play football, and you need an athlete and an up-tempo there, it's a tough sell. Where you look at Chip Kelly running a very similar system, he's recruiting kids to Los Angeles. That's a big difference when you look at like the the landscape and what high school and college kids and want to go to. So that's what Chip Kelly, part of the reason he's staying there. He knows what he's got and what they're building there. Um, 
but it's very similar. He learned from the NFL kind of, you know, as an OC and what he needed to do, but certainly he has the right players now in his fifth year. And you're starting to see that as he's, you know, what he's doing. He's, you know, he's 14 and four over the last 18 games. So he's got to click in the right direction. He definitely does. Definitely does. So let's move over to the other side of the um, football there on uh, to coach Dan landing of for Oregon. Obviously he used to coach at Georgia as the defensive coordinator. Obviously last year they won the national championship with him leading at that. Probably one of the better defenses of all time. Um, so I, I wonder, you know, how much of that defense was Coach Landing compared to Coach K- Kirby's style? Um, what have you noticed so far in his tenure there in, in Oregon? Yeah, I love Coach Dan Lanning's story, you know, and everyone, that's kind of the conception is like, well, you know, how much did he do at Georgia? You know, is he ready for this Oregon job? Because they had a couple guys they wanted, remember, in the offseason, yeah. they couldn't get them. Then it seemed like, well, then they went to Dan Lanning. But, you know, he played linebacker at William Jewell College. Okay, That's a Division two college in Missouri. Uh, I just love his story. He was a high school football coach. Uh, he drove in 13 hours to hear a lecture. Uh, and I believe it was Todd Graham speaking at the time. Um, he was like, this is what I want to do. I want to go to college football. So he drove uh, to a campus, asked for a job, got a GA job. So this is kind of how Dan Lanning got started in his transition. Um, he got to Alabama as a graduate assistant. And then who's he under? Nick Saban, Kirby Smart. So now he's really starting to learn. You can tell he's kind of that hungry coach. DC at Georgia, you mentioned. Um, what I like about him is how they responded. Everyone saw on TV how they got embarrassed in the opener all right, against Georgia. It looked like they were so bad and Georgia was so good. And then you look at it and Oregon's rattled off and won five in a row. Now, what they're doing on defense is they're a multiple attacking defense, okay? So it's their change from Georgia is that Georgia is more base and then they'll kind of get multiple over time where Oregon is going to go multiple fronts, literally could be every other play. So you see him, he's really kind of put his own little wrinkle on it. Um, but what they do both use is this slant pressure we're going to talk about today on defense. And then the other side on offense, Georgia's more of this pro style, right? We've seen with their run game and line and, you know, their quarterback play. Um, completely different at Oregon right now, okay, with the offensive coordinator and how they're attacking runs and using Bo Nix in their quarterback run read game. So he certainly has his own, you know, his own wrinkles on it and how he wants to do a program, but he's certainly been offered some under some good ones in Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. That's for sure. If you, if you can pick any um, any coaches out there, those are two of the, the best to learn from for sure. All right, let's step into these teams now. Let's start with that UCLA offense. Uh, so what have you noticed in, in Coach Kelly's system? Is it similar to what he ran at Oregon, or, or what adjustments has he made since um, coming back to college football? It's quite similar. So the more you dig into the video, you're like, yep, okay, that's there, that's similar. And the reason I say that is because it's open formations, okay? When you look at spread terminology, regardless of tight ends and, and backs and things like that, they're going to be open, but it's number-based. So when we say number-based, it all starts within the box, okay? So if there's five defenders in the box, they're going to hand the ball off and run. Now, you want to do that because you have five offensive linemen to block five defenders. And now your running back is the free runner. So if they get six defenders in the box now, this is where the quarterback read game comes in, okay? But we're going to get into Dorian Thompson-Robinson because now that running back can be that sixth player to match the sixth defender. Your quarterback becomes the plus one. The other part of it is the seven now. When you get seven man in the box, his mentality is we're going to throw. You're not going to see Chip Kelly loading up multiple tight ends and fullbacks and, and trying to match those numbers. They're just going to throw the ball and stay spread. So it's very similar in his philosophy. Um, but, you know, listeners, when you're watching this and viewers, like count the numbers in the box when you're watching the game on Saturday and you'll be able to match up and have idea of how they want to attack it. But they're up tempo after positive plays. It's foot on the gas and they're trying to snap the ball. Uh, 
you know, as offensive coaches, when you run this up-tempo offense, you really want to snap the ball between eight and 12 seconds. So, you know, viewers, when you're watching this on Saturday, watch the play clock on the bottom of the screen when UCLA or Oregon gets a first down. Watch how fast they're trying to snap the ball. If they get it in that eight to 12 second range, that's exactly where they want to be. Um, now, when the tempo was slowed down, and this is what you'll see UCLA, is when it's slowed down, we talked about the red zone last week because of incompletions or, you know, a negative play. But when you get down the red zone, they're going to use a lot of their motion. And that's where Chip Kelly's kind of adapting. He did not motion as much at Oregon a decade ago. You see him kind of adjusting. And I see that's probably what he learned a little bit more at the pro level. So um, the last part is the pre-snap and post-snap RPOs, which we're going to get in today, okay? The difference between before the snap and after the snap and the run-pass option. But way more similarities and differences. And you can tell he learned a lot uh, as far as the motion game at the pro level. Sounds good. So what's, you mentioned DTR, let's talk about him. Um, how are they using him? What makes him special? I think, you know, it feels like something finally clicked with him in, in Chip, Chip Kelly's office last year. There was flashes uh, those first couple of years. He seems like he's been there for 10 years, but the yeah. first couple of years, he had flashes of running this offense well, but injuries and, inconsistent play kind of um, hampered him. But what have you seen, you know, differently here over the last year, year and a half? Yeah. So his fifth year, like you said, it's his fifth yeah. year as a quarterback. We, I mean, we talked about, you know, Hooker at Tennessee, a couple, you know, being 24 years old, you know, like experience matters when you're talking about the age difference between 18 and like 23, that's a big difference. So it is his fifth year, but um, I, you know, just DTR is a four-star recruit, you know, he's from Bishop Norman in Nevada. So that's a powerhouse football program out there. And, you know, longtime football fans, you remember DeMarco Murray, who was at Oklahoma and then he played for the Cowboys and the Eagles, the running back. Uh, he played there. Uh, you Notre Dame fans, Ronnie Stanley, your guy, left tackle for the Ravens right now, first round pick. He's from Bishop Gorman in Nevada. So they certainly have a little factory over there. Um, you know, he chose UCLA over Michigan. It was down the wire. But what I like about him, he stayed with Chip. So he's been in Chip's system for five years, the whole way with Chip Kelly. Um, you know, he runs his own read stuff well in the run game. The ball comes out on time. I like to say it's similar to basketball where he's the ultimate point guard. Okay. He's a facilitator. Okay. He understands the offense and what to do. You know, Tony, look at his completion percentage. He's almost at 75%, right? Which is ridiculous and completing passes. And the reason he does that is because we're going to get into right now is the pre-snap RPOs. So you always hear about RPOs, the run pass option after the pass, right? Because you're either going to run it to the running back or read a second or third level defender, a linebacker or a safety after the snap. That's a post-snap RPO. Pre-snap RPO is why his completion percentage is so high, okay? So when, when we're watching this game on Saturday, UCLA is going to come up with these pre-snap RPOs. So we talked about numbers in the box. Now we're going to talk about numbers outside the box. So watch the receivers against the DBs outside, okay? You're looking for numbers out there. If they're two-on-one out there, because let's say the safety is playing high and the outside linebacker is tight to the box. So now you only have one cornerback out there and you've got two receivers. They're going to throw that now screen or that bubble quick screen to them right away before the snap. So that's an all run pass option. He's actually just throwing the ball first right now. If they're three on two, Tony, because there's three receivers and let's say there's a corner and an outside linebacker, but you have a deep safety is not in the picture. They're going to throw the ball before the snap it's essentially running the ball without having to hand the ball off, right? With that quick screen out there. So this pre-snap RPO, so listeners remember when you count, count the receivers and then the DBs before the snap, when you watch this on Saturday, and you're going to see DTR take the ball and fling it out there and get into an athlete in space, high percentage throw. Uh, he does a great job of understanding the numbers when it comes to the pre-snap RPOs outside. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. 
Um, let's wrap up here with um, on the offensive side. Is there any other players that you're kind of looking forward to watching in this game? Maybe somebody that can make an impact, um, break a big play here against your defense. Yeah, this is the key, all right? It's running back number 24, Zach, Zach Charbonnet, okay? And the reason I say this is because you're going to see the up-tempo. You're going to see these quick screens on their perimeter. They're a heavy play-action team, too, and they're past. They're not a drop-pack team. So a lot of these things get masked. The key is number 24. He's 6'1". Yeah. He's 222. He's got great lower body strength. He runs through arm tackles. Uh, he's a Michigan transfer. Uh, he wanted to come home and play closer to home in Los Angeles. Uh, he's got great vision on tight and wide zones. So we talk about big backs and guys, he, he's able to read it from a vision standpoint. And then he's got that burst and acceleration to run through. It really reminds me of, remember Chip Kelly at Oregon had the Garrett Blunt. So they yeah. were running zone runs thing, just like he's doing right now. It's still a zone run game with a lot of wrinkles in it, but it's a power running back. And that's kind of what you see in the mold of LeGarrette Blount is this Nick Charbonnet. And then they throw him the screen and swing passes. Uh, you know, heck, in the Utah game, he had 22 carries for 198 yards <laughs> on the ground with a touchdown, okay, just torching the Utah defense. So, uh, you know, away, like I said, from the tempo and the screens and all the spread stuff, uh, number 24, you know, Zach Charbonnet, this is the guy that's going to go. Um, to watch, that's my player to watch for UCLA. Yeah, I think he's my player to watch as well. I was going to bring him up. He's um he's a very explosive back. I've loved, you know, I think he had a kind of a down year with Michigan. Came over to UCLA maybe because of injury, and he's just been explosive ever since. He's really kind of lifted this offense up. Maybe it's no coincidence that they started playing more in the Chip Kelly's offense once he actually came aboard and started being a big product of it. Um, I think he's impressive against big teams. I think I read like 7.5 yards of carry against top 25 teams. Um, even this year, he catches the ball in the backfield, 11 receptions for 143 yards, 13 yeah, yards, a, a reception. So mm -hmm. he's, he's explosive. It's hard to bring down. Uh, he could definitely, you know, wear down the ever team and help, um, Usually get this victory, uh, so it's definitely somebody to watch. Uh, let's move over to the other side of the ball for Oregon, the Oregon defense. So maybe, you know, we all know about Dan Landing and his success with defense. So maybe tell us a little bit about who he has as his defensive coordinator for the Oregon defense um, and what kind of defense are they running out there? Yeah, so it's Tosh Lupoy is over there, okay? So Tosh Lupoy, he was in you know, Alabama. Now, you remember him as a longtime defensive line coach. He got in a little issue with NCAA allegations. Uh, he kind of rebranded his career. He's one of these Nick Saban tree guys that goes in as an analyst, yeah. all right? So he goes to Alabama in 2014. He stays until 2018. So in that four or five-year period, he moves his way up from an analyst to a defensive coordinator for Nick Saban. So the guy can coach ball, okay? Then the last three years, he's been in the NFL as a defensive line coach. He's back in college this year, running a defense at Oregon under Dan Lanning. Full authority, what they do. Multiple is the theme. They run a 4-2-5 base. Next play, Tony, they'll be in a 3-3 stack. The next play, they're going to be in that 5-1 bare front uh, to confuse offensive lines. So uh, that's kind of what he's doing on defense. And the theme I see as far as multiple is they slant, okay? So when you slant, okay, watch the defensive line when you're watching this Oregon defense. They're all going to slant either to the left or to the right. Now, Georgia does a whole lot of this, okay? And it's really confusing to offensive lines because it happens so quick. Okay. So offensive lines, they snap the ball and these guys are in front of your face and they're going left or right. And you don't know right away. Okay. So it's really difficult to, to pick this up. And I say that because if you're trying to pressure an offensive line, like from the linebacker position, it's a lot easier for these O lines to see because it's coming from depth, right? If it's coming from about five yards away, 
it's easier for them to communicate and say, hey, pick this up, here it comes. But when it's one foot in front of you and there's three, four, and five defenders on the line going at the line of scrimmage, it's really difficult to stop. So that slant is what I'm seeing there do, and uh, it's given people a lot of fits on defense. Sounds good. Um, so if you break it down this defense, you know what would be the, the top string, maybe the top position group that you look at is what kind of carries a day for this defense? I'm looking at the defensive line uh, and what they do because of their pressuring. Okay, They're trying to take pressure off the back end until they can recruit and get the guys to play corner and cover in the secondary the way they want. Um, so th the defensive line is, is what I'm looking at. Is That's the group um, with their pressure packages of how they're going to go ahead and attack. All right. And then what's the other side? Like, where's a, where's a weakness here that you, you kind of see UCLA might be able to exploit or somebody you would be kind of worried about if you're an Oregon fan? Yeah, you put the coaching hat on and you realize that when you see a slant, it gives you a lot of fits. How do we counter it, right? You can't just run away from it. There's a weakness to everything you do. So there's two things coaches do, okay, when you look at this slant. When you're looking at from an offensive coaching side of the ball, when defenses are slanting like this, one, you have to find the tendency, okay? And then second, you have to exploit it. So to find the tendency, this is kind of what coaches will do behind the scene, okay? And I, and I love it because it's really detailed and it works okay eventually, but you need to find out where and why they're slanting. So this is the weakness defining it, okay? Coaches are gonna look at, are they going from the field? Are they coming from the boundary, the weak side? Is it the formation of why they're slanting a certain way? Is it because of the pre-snap alignment? It could be the down and distance of why they're slanting a certain direction. You know, also a key to me, which we used to chart this coaching is the defensive lines hand down, okay? Now listen, when I say this is when guys slant, okay, they're in a three-point stance. So three-point stance means one hand is on the ground. If it's their right hand down or their left hand down, coaches chart every single play of which when they have the right hand down and when they have their left hand down, okay? That can tell them if their left hand's down, they might be going in this direction or their right hand's down, they're going in that direction. So you find a tendency between, it could be their hand down or the formation. Once you find your tendency, it's time to exploit it. And this is the weakness to attacking the slant defense, okay? Is you have to use gap runs, okay, in a gap scheme. So remember on gap schemes, everyone's blocking down and creating a wall. So like the offensive coaching mindset is, Let's let them slant where they want to go. We're going to take them that direction, okay? We're all going to block down with them as they slant. But now we're going to pull offensive line around to that weak area away from the slant. Because when you go away from that slant, it's usually an outside linebacker or somebody who's off the ball. And you have space there to kind of attack them with runs. So the way to attack this is run gap runs, block them down the way they want to slant but then pull one or two offensive linemen around to that weak area. So watch for UCLA to maybe go to some gap runs to pull some offensive line to attack that. All right. And I'll, I'll wrap this one up with just a couple of players I, I, I look forward to watching in this game, and that is on the defensive line there. Uh, they have a couple of big guys that I think, you know, I think Mario Cristobal, there's one thing he did was recruit better players on the defense that they had in, in, in years past. And two guys that really stood out to me is um, defensive end Brandon Dorless and linebacker DJ Johnson. So these guys, 6'3", 290 for uh, Dorless, 6'4", mm. 250 for DJ Johnson. Two big guys, too fast, quick, agile. If you look at it, they combined for over 11 tackles for loss this year, eight sacks. Um, they're very dominant. And, they, you know, if anybody's going to cause DTR some trouble, I think these two will do it. I can actually see um, – you know, DJ Johnson be maybe even uh, looking, you know, to kind of monitor what DTR is doing and see if he can slow him down a bit. So I'm um, interested to watch how that kind of progresses in this game and see if they can have that impact in this one as well. Um, 
So let's move over to the defensive side for UCLA. Uh, you know, I think when you watch them, they show up as um, dominant as there's some points scored against them, but they do find, you know, they're not as dominant. But they find ways to win. They give up some points here and there, but then they stop other ways. So, uh, you know, they, they've been consistent at times, inconsistent at other times. So I'm just interested in what you see, put your coaching hat on when you watch this defense. What do they do well? What do they struggle with? Yeah, I mean, look at Bill McGovern, who's their DC, and it's got Northeast college football ties to him. You know, he coached at Holy yeah. Cross, he coached at UMass, he coached at Boston College, uh, but he's been in the NFL eight of the last nine years as a linebacker coach in the DC. That's where he spent his time. But, um, you know, what I see with them is, you know, heading into the U the Utah game, they were number one in the Pac-12 in rush defense, okay? It's stopping the run at just around 80 yards a game. Um, at their second and third level, their defense, Tony, their linebackers and their DBs have really good ball skills. They create turnovers at a high rate. They do a good job. Uh, when I dig into the video, I see how they're mixing their zone coverage well. And something that I took notice of is their Tampa 2 concept. All right. Now, this is an old term, an old team defense. Some teams use it here and there and situationally, but I want to talk about it because the Tampa 2 defense, if you remember, this is back with Tony Dungy and the Bucks, right, where Derek Brooks was the linebacker in the middle of the field. John Lynch was at safety. Warren Sepp was at defensive line, but they dominated the NFL in this Tampa 2 defense. What a Tampa 2 defense is, it's two high safeties, okay, and they split the half of the field in zone coverage. One has one half, the other one has the other half, okay? And then you have two cornerbacks. They're in zone coverage as well, but they're going to be in that front flat area about five to seven yards. So you'll see them press those receivers, and their job is to kind of take away that flat and be good tacklers in Tampa 2. You move to the outside linebackers, Tony, and they cover what we call the hook to curl area. The hook to curl area is going to be right outside the tackle box right there, okay, where teams are trying to hit those quick stop routes and snag routes on them inside. But the key to this is the middle linebacker, okay? And this is where, if you remember, Derek Brooks was so good because he would run down the middle field and could run with tight ends. Uh, Brian Urlacher did it with Chicago, and the Bears ran a heavy Tampa 2 defense. He was the kind of guy who can do it. Um, and that's what you see with his defense now. You just don't see as much of this, okay? Because, you know, in 2022, uh, tight ends, they're not run blockers first, okay? They're pass catchers first. So when they're pass catchers, um, they're a little bit more athletic. It's tougher for middle linebackers to run with them down the seam. But, you know, I mean, back 20 years ago in the 90s, the early 2000s, these tight ends were run blockers first. So you can get away with it playing this Tampa 2 and not having to get attacked down the middle of the field. But uh, it's overall, it's a strong unit. Uh, they create turnovers and zone coverage. And watch for this Tampa 2 where they're pressing those corners in that flat, safeties are high, and that middle linebacker is running right down the seam uh, to cover them in the middle of the field. All right. Let's talk a little bit about Bo, um, stopping Bo Nix here. So, I, you know, when I look at the UCLA defense, I think what I've noticed is they're really good at uh, kind of eliminating those explosive plays. But, for example, red zone has been a bit of an issue for them there. And so I could see that's where someone like Bo Nix can really take advantage and use his running attack to – um, to cause some havoc for them there. Um, you know, how, how do you think this defense will do against the mobile ability Bo Nix, you know, throughout the ball game? I think it's a big challenge. It's a, it's a major challenge because we just talked about this Tampa two, right? Where they've got to cover the middle of the field. They're only rushing four. And if your middle linebackers drop into the middle of the field to play center field, you've got space underneath. That's where Bo Nix is doing his damage. Okay. We're going to get to Bo Nix and talk about his design runs and QB runs. But if he drops back and has to beat this four-man UCLA defensive line, 
if he can get underneath it, there's a lot of space underneath for them. So UCLA is certainly watching on video and, and just in their game plan because they're not going to be able to line up in the same defenses that they've been shown on video and match up with Bo Nix in the, in the run game. You saw Cam Rising at Utah give them fits in the red zone and kind of extend some runs as a, as a running back. You've got a different athlete with Bo Nix. So it can be a challenge for this UCLA defense. All right, and to wrap this one up, um, any any particular players standing out to you here for the defensive side that, um, or any maybe uh, position units that you want to watch that did you feel like could um, you know make the biggest impact in this game? Yeah, I mean when when I look at this defense, and, and the first guy I got to look at, Tony, is is Darius Musau. Okay, when I say Darius Musau, he's a middle linebacker. Okay, he's number fifty three. He is the key when they run this Tampa two. We talked about Derek Brooks and our locker and this kind of scheme. He's that guy for them, okay, when they run it. So in the Utah game, where they ran Tampa 2 in the red zone, he actually was the one who turned, ran, play center field, and picked off Cam Rising in the red zone for an interception. Awesome play. He's 6'1", he's 230, he's a transfer from Hawaii, so he's got experience. You know, last year at Hawaii, he had 108 tackles. This guy's a tackling machine and the athleticism to drop back. So he's a transfer that we talked about, Chip Kelly, kind of putting those guys together as he wants. Uh, he's got the genes too. His younger brother plays football at Hawaii. He's an offensive lineman. So uh, number 53, the middle linebacker, Darius Musau. He's the guy to look for when you when you watch the anchor of this UCLA defense. All right, let's, let's move on to the, the final piece here is the Oregon offense. So obviously Dan Laney is known as a defensive coach. And you always worry how a defensive coach will kind of create a good offensive strategy. I, I even look at like as a Notre Dame fan, Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame, they're struggling on the offensive side. And that's not really something he's as familiar with. So I'm always interested to watch those defensive coaches. Who do they hire? What kind of system do they run? So what have you seen so far in Oregon um, that get you know that can really positively motivate you know the fan base out there that offense is going to be moving in the right direction? Sure. We talked before about the differences, right, with Dan Lanning coming over. What he's going to do at Georgia on defense? What's their offense going to look like? It's not pro style because they brought over Kelly Dillingham. Okay. Kelly Dillingham, he's 32 years old and he's the OC at Oregon right now. I love his story. Okay. He started coaching football when he was 17 years old. And this is how it happened. Okay. He's a senior playing high school football. He tears his ACL. Now, if you're a senior playing high school football, you tear your ACL, you're out for the season. That's your career right there. What does he do? He goes ahead and starts coaching the JV team, okay? The younger guys underneath him. By 21 years old, this guy's the offensive coordinator of his varsity high school football team at 21, right? So now you see why he's 32 and what he's doing. He's been the offensive coordinator in college. He worked his way up. He's been the OC at Memphis. Uh, he's been at Auburn, and he's been at Florida State, all as the offensive coordinator. So you got a young kind of innovative mind right now what they're doing. Um, but they're zoning gap runs. They've got a one-two punch at running back. But the biggest thing that they're doing is they've taken Bo Nix to a different level in the run game and the way they design runs, and they let him read certain runs. So they've really expanded what Mario Cristobal built, right? Strong offensive line, speed backs, okay? And then they just put more spread concepts with it. So it's kind of like if it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know, mentality. But then you get yeah. you put your own spread wrinkles on it. So really good coaching. He's a really up-and-coming, young, exciting coach to see Kelling Dillingham and kind of what he did with this Oregon offense. All right. And then what's you mentioned Bo Nix, so let's talk about him. You know, I think – if you watch Bo Nix in Auburn for many years, you know, there was a lot of inconsistencies in his game. 
Um, he's been a lot more consistent here um, in Oregon outside the first game against Georgia. I think that was just a tough first game for everybody involved. But outside of that, he's been a little he's been more consistent and seems to be a little more successful. So what are they doing differently with Bo Nix to, to get him to be more successful? And why was he inconsistent in the past, if you, if you notice anything on film? Yeah, when you when you look at Bo Nix, so this is a this is a tough element for spread offenses. When you're in the shotgun, everyone's like, why are they in the shotgun on third and one, trying to run the ball? Right? This is what yeah. Bo Nix brings to you. They're a quarterback sneak team. So when you watch this on Saturday, he does it three ways. He's great at his quarterback sneak game. Okay, he's either going to be right under center and go for the quarterback sneak traditional. He'll be in the shotgun and then he'll run up right before the snap and get under the center and QB sneak in the short yardage. And then you'll also see him get up to the line of scrimmage, and he's going to pretend like he's audible. He's going to be to the left and to the right of the offensive line, calling things out, yelling things. And then he's just going to go ahead and run a quarterback sneak. So they're getting short yardage with Bo Nix and using him there. So that's something to look for. Um, but I love the way they're using him in the run game, completely different than Auburn, okay? His strength is his mobility. And when I say that, that's extending pass plays. And that's also the quarterback run game. Design runs for him and then letting him read runs as well, okay? Amazing stat. When I looked at him on video at Auburn and you saw him, they used him as a drop back passer and then, hey, kind of take off when you can and go, right? And, and let him yeah. go. That's really not playing to his strengths, okay? And you notice that because when you look at his yards per run, okay, this is his three years at Auburn, okay? His freshman year, 3.2 yards a carry. Sophomore year, 3.6 yards a carry. His junior year, 3.7 yards a carry. So he didn't break 3.7 yards a carry as a runner, okay? At Oregon right now, he's at 8.2, okay? 8.2 yards a carry, okay? And we'll tell you why and what he does, okay? Is Oregon and Kelly Dillingham is playing to his strengths, okay? My favorite quarterback run is the counter read, okay? So the counter read, it's a counter run, okay? So you look at it, it's a gap scheme run, okay? It's supposed to create angles. So when you look at the first part of counter, okay, a counter run, the offensive line is down blocking, okay? Half of the line is going to all block down, okay? You're trying to create a wall, okay? And then you want to bring one to two pullers around. So when you block that wall, you block half the down line, and then you pull your backside guard and tackle. And your guard is going to go ahead, and he's going to kick out the defensive end, and then your tackle right behind him, he's going to pull behind him, and he's going to lead right underneath up on that linebacker. So you get a kick out, and then you get a tackle to line up right inside there, and you pull two guys, okay? It's a really physical run. Uh, it's nasty offensive line like it because they like to pull. They like to feel like they're athletes and out in space. But when you look at the counter read, that's the run concept to it. Now, the running back in the backfield, he's running what looks like wide zone. So he's going to be offset, Tony, to the quarterback, and he's going to run flat right across the line in front of the quarterback like he's getting the ball on a stretch play. Why this is confusing to a defense, so picture yourself if you're a linebacker and you see two big offensive linemen pulling in one direction, and then you see a running back going the other direction getting a handoff. You kind of freeze. You're like, what am I supposed to look at? So this is the ultimate misdirection. And then all Bo Nix is doing is he's reading the defensive end. So when they pull those two offensive linemen, there's a defensive end by himself. If he runs after the offensive line because they're pulling, they just hang, Bo Nix just hands the ball off to the running back, and it becomes wide zone, which fits these Oregon running backs, Tony, because their skill set is their burners, okay? They've got speed to him, and they want to play him in space. Fits exactly what they do. Now, if that defensive end runs wide, Bo Nix is going to catch the ball. He's going to tuck it, and he's going to run right behind his guard and tackle, which is smash mouth 
power run. So counter read is what you want to look for when you see Bo Nix because it's a smash mouth run. You're going to pull two offensive linemen. The running back is going the other direction, and then Bo Mix is, is making the read. So it fits all of their skill sets really well. It's the ultimate misdirection. All right. I will step into like a matchup to watch for this game. Um, you know, is there um, maybe look at the couple of different position groups, one for each or either side, and, you know, the winner of this matchup could decide this game. Which matchup are you looking at in, in that regard? I'm looking at the UCA offensive line against the Oregon defensive box. And in a bigger bigger picture, it's Chip Kelly's strength against Dan Lanning's strength, okay? Chip Kelly's yeah. offense and offensive line, because they're really good, against Dan Lanning's pressure packages and this defensive front from Tosh Lapoy. So that's the units we're in, because when you look into UCLA's offensive line, you know, offensive line, Tony, they don't get enough credit. They're a strong unit. They're really good with their zone runs inside and out. They sell their play action well, and they're doing a good job of protecting the quarterback right now. And then Oregon's defensive box, you're going to see a 4-2 a box, a 3-3 box, and a 5-1 box. So they're multiple in pressure to kind of confuse the offensive line. So that's my matchup to watch. UCLA O-line against the Oregon defensive front looks um, and kind of see the chess match between both of those coaching strengths. All right. So uh, let's kind of wrap this up with um, your keys to winning this game. So if UCLA wins, what did they do well? Yeah, early down, okay? And the early downs, they're running with success, okay? And the reason I say that is because if you're running with success, you can play with tempo, okay? That's what they want to do. If we're getting positive runs, now we're pushing the pace. We're snapping the ball between 8 and 12 seconds. We're conditioning against the defense. It's on our favor. And then the second part is UCLA becomes a heavy play-action team. This is where they get the chunk of their big plays is Chip Kelly's really becoming a heavy play-action pass off of this run. So the keys to winning early down off UCLA on offense, success early to play up-tempo and go play-action. And then on the defensive side, UCLA, you create turnovers because that's what you're doing this year. You guys have got some ball hawks out there at linebacker and in the secondary. You want to make Bo, Bo Nix become a drop-back passer and have him turn over the ball, okay? So that's what you do. If you win on defense, you're creating turnovers, and then you're containing him in the run game on these runs and design runs underneath. Uh, right. You know when I you know when I look at Oregon Tony I mean their keys to winning on the other side it's yeah. Bo Nix's quarterback run game I mean because if they use him as a runner they're able to spread the defense out but they're actually to use him as like an extra running back okay because of how much they're using him with this eight point two yards per carry so if they're winning on offense Oregon it's because they're using him with their quarterback sneaks we talked about his counter read and then those design runs and then I flip it over. And if Oregon wins, it's on defense because of their multiple fronts, the 4-2, the 3-3, and the 5-1. They have confused UCLA's offensive line. They have disrupted their run schemes, and they put pressure on UCLA's offense. So those are my keys to winning when I look at each side of the ball for these teams. All right, a good good breakdown there. It'd be interesting to see which one you know which ones happens on um, this weekend. As far as final predictions, when I look at this game, you know I um, I kind of look at a returning coach like Chip, Chip Kelly going to Oregon, it could be one of two ways. You're angry at the former team and you want to hear <laughs> team to be motivated, ready to go, or you have a lot of love and, um, you know, you have a lot of emotions coming back to the game and it may mess up your game planning. Um, it may be where, um, you know, you focus too much on certain things and it could cause your team to have a little bit of an emotional letdown. Um, you know, I even look back at the at the game earlier this year with um, Notre Dame and, and Ohio State. Marcus Freeman going back to Ohio State. Mm. He focused all year on that game, 
they made it really close, but it took him out of the next few games. Um, you know, and it maybe it knocked him off for the season and maybe some stuff to learn as a, as a coach. So Chip Kelly, you know, I would, I would, I wonder how, how his team's preparing, how they're looking this week. When I listen to him talk, he's really talking up the love of Oregon. So I do wonder what his emotions are like going into this game. You know, if this game was at UCLA, I have a feeling that UCLA would win. But since it's at mm-hmm. Oregon, I think I'm going to make the prediction that Oregon will come out with a close game, a close victory here in a close game. Uh, but I think it should be a good contest. I'm thinking like, you know, 38-35 type of ball game with both offenses playing well, defenses making plays when they need to. Um, any thoughts from you on final prediction, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, look at both these teams. I mean, there's a lot of similarities because they both use up tempo. Okay, Oregon's going to use it. UCLA is going to use it. Okay, you're talking about the score and the pace of the game. They both kind of want to play fast, even though it's run game controlled. They do want to play fast. Um, but the difference to me is UCLA is creating turnovers on defense. Okay. And then that's what I think could be the difference right here because these guys are getting after it. Um, you know, Washington attacked them with double moves, out and up, stop and goes. But, you know, that's kind of like the end of, of trying to get them. So I look at UCLA creating turnovers versus Bo. Chip Kelly's coming home. You know, uh, the biggest Duck fan I know is Steve Carousello out there. Duck fans are going to be pumped up. It's at their place, college game day. Uh, it's going to be an awesome atmosphere. But, you know, it, you know, I'm, I'm looking for Chip Kelly to come home and them to create some turnovers on defense. But uh, look for the tempo and the run game. It's going to be an awesome atmosphere here, you know, in Oregon on Saturday. No, I agree. It should be a, it should be a good one. Uh, you know, when, when you have these big matchups out there, usually – crowds are live and everybody's ready to go and so uh, this is an early game too so you don't have to wait till midnight to watch it it's uh <laughs> it's going to be a 3 30 eastern i believe if, if i remember correctly so it's going to be in the afternoon early for them so i, I am interested to have that early start time yeah. um impacts the players because i imagine most of them are used to playing night games or late afternoon games so this will be a little bit different i wonder how that would mess with them routine a bit but um we should look forward to seeing that. There should be some other good matchups this week. So I hope you guys enjoy college football. And if there's any contests upcoming you want us to check out or a review on here, please let us know at in the flat pod on Twitter, um, in the flat podcast.com um, for our website. And we will talk to you guys next week. Bye. See you.